Welcome to the Forest Lakes District EFCA podcast. The FLD's focus is to connect, equip, and multiply churches in fulfillment of our vision to glorify God by multiplying transformational churches among all people. In today's podcast, we hear from counselor Steve Johnson as he speaks on ways to improve resilience and success when it comes to the stress of ministry. This session was recorded at the FLD Fall Leaders Conference in 2022. And we're going to get started. I'm Rob Weisey. I'm on staff with the Forest Lakes District. It's been 19 years that I've been on staff, so what a privilege. Uh, just If I haven't gotten to know you yet, please come and, and say hi. My wife, Nancy, who's the introvert, is over here. <laughs> Many of you prayed for her during COVID. Thank you. Uh, we're grateful. Um, so we're really glad that you've come today. It's my privilege to introduce someone that I've known a long time, Steve. I bet right from the beginning of the Forest Lakes District, I got to know you. Steve and a guy named Dan Roshi did a seminar early on for me. But Steve Johnson, if you came to the right spot, this is the one, Ways to Improve Resilience and Success When It Comes to the Stress of Ministry. Can we all relate? <laughs> Steve is the owner and director of Advocate Psychotherapy Services in Stevens Point. He has over 20 years experience in helping teens, couples, families, and individuals overcome their mental health struggles. He's also involved in our ministry support program. If you haven't heard about that, we partner with Steve in coming alongside of our ministry leaders in our district. If you're at a place where you're at an impasse where you need somebody safe to go see, Steve is an absolute wonderful um, connection for us, and we have offered his services to many of our ministry leaders. He does it at a reduced rate for us. Thank you, Steve, and we're really grateful. So it's my pleasure to introduce my friend Steve Johnson. Thanks, Rob. Yeah, well, hey, thanks for coming. I was looking back through my uh, years. I think Rob and I first met on a basketball court. You were officiating in Marshfield, and I was coaching. I don't think it started in an argument. Uh, there were no T's. That's right. There were no technicals. But we go back a ways. And so it's been an opportunity to speak maybe a handful of times through the years here. So it's nice to come back. And uh, certainly there's a, a, just a focus that I carry with each time. Uh, but this one just feels like a better opportunity to speak about some of these topics in light of what we've been going through uh, as, as people, as people who attend church, but all of you in terms of frontline ministry. It's great to be here. Um, just had my website showing up, but in the theme of John Payne encouragement, I just wanted to encourage all Packer fans. If you wanted to wanted to join a real team, I thought I'd bring up. If you if you ever come to my office, you'll see that I have a nice display here of encouragement of a lot of Hall of Fame players and uh, autographs. So that's my uh, the thing. It's always on the inside. So when people come in and then they see that, then like oh. Too late now. You already filled out the paperwork. You already came in my office. I can't be fired uh, for something like that as we go. But um, that's not. Uh, I need grace too. So uh, show me your grace as it as it goes forward. But uh, thanks for coming. Uh, whatever has prompted, whether it's your ministry, whether it's something you've been going through, whether it's just trying to gain some new skills uh, so you can endure and continue to go forward. Uh, I'm glad you're here. So let me pray for our time as well, and uh, we'll go into the material. Uh, Lord, thank you for this opportunity to speak to these leaders, and I just pray you'd uh, have your words 
uh, come through me and encourage them and may this material be something they can take with and use for themselves or share with others and be an encouragement to others as well as I try and encourage them. All this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, anytime I speak at a conference or go to one, I want stuff to take with me. So that's why if you don't have a handout, please make sure you grab one at the back because uh, everything I'll talk about will be included there and uh, uh, there's some space to take some notes if you need to. But I thought it'd just be relevant to start uh, right away and uh, ask the, the simplest question uh, of our time and kind of write these down here. I think red's an appropriate color. I just think uh, um, if we can come up with a list right off the top of our heads here of things or events that have worn down resiliency that you can think of, whether this is yesterday, last week, last month, last year, when the world before it changed in 2020, are there just some things that come to mind that have worn down resiliency? Because I bet everyone's thinking very similar things. And I'll write them down. So what comes to mind first? Things that have worn down your resiliency. Yes? Broken relationships. Broken relationships. Yeah. Suicides. Oh, yeah. Inconsistencies. Okay. Okay. Others? Unmet expectations or needs. Okay. That's a good one. Conflict. Just overwhelming number of these. Sure. That is kind of growing. Others. Black sleep. Mm -hmm. ah, that's a good one. Like no clear path. It seems like there's been a lot of stuff where you don't know exactly what it is you're supposed to do. Sure. Maybe just the word unknown comes to mind. Path forward to uh, for solutions of the number of needs that are out there. Maybe a lack of clarity. things correctly the last three years? <laughs> or were you 0 for? Right? 0 for everything. Yeah. The need for significant creativity draws on your resiliency. Sure. <clears throat> Extra creativity. I think that's another great one. Yeah, I think tied in with that is like constant change. Like mm -hmm. things are changing. Quickly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Steve, I feel like sped up fast mm -hmm. and make things very complex and difficult. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm very confounding. Yeah. No win situations. Seems like there's been a lot of those. That's a good word. Yeah. I'll keep writing. <laughs> <laughs> I put this up here like my shower in my house. <laughs> So that's a good, that's a good list. Um, and that's a really good list. There's a lot of 
ministry words, just the counseling words that come to mind are heartbroken, exhausted, um, stressed, uh, sad, depressed, despair, anxiety, right? Mm-hmm. That's just my perspective, my filter, that meshes really well with all of your perspectives of working. But this is the backdrop. That's why it's easy when Rob says, hey, can you come speak on something? It's like, well, I already know what the target is. It's, it's easy to understand. So, look, it's always been a privilege to come and speak. And, and Rob mentioned the ministry support program. Let me just speak to that real quickly. Is It's four free sessions from the district. So whether, you know, we had virtual stuff before the pandemic, but it's just been efficient since. So no matter where you live in Wisconsin with this three-hour window, it is, uh, you know, everything's online. My website was up earlier. You can make an appointment online. You get the paperwork emailed to you, all this stuff. So... I love meeting people face-to-face the first time. just gives context. But sometimes three hours with $5 gas prices. I get it. Uh, but four free sessions to use over six months. If we need another one, John's really good about saying, hey, can I have one more? And uh, it gets taken care of. But in those four sessions, it just helps people breathe. It helps them figure out what to do next. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's, a, it's the best thing I can do with my time, really. Um, like coming here, this fills me up. As much as we're talking about really... You know, things you talk about encouragement is a great. I'll steal a lot of John's words and plagiarize them in my office and use them today from now on because they're right on. Uh, but encouraging others is, is what I wake up to do every day. So I hope that's the uh, conclusion at the end. But you can, my information's on the handout at the bottom, my email, my phone number. So if you want to find out more information about that ministry support program, please let me know. And uh, we can get, uh, I'll make room. Sometimes my schedule can be really dicey weeks out. But if someone calls and is in crisis, then I'll give up a lunch and uh, we'll connect soon. Okay. And I'll say this to you too. Thank you for those that are giving to the district. That's how we can also continue to offer this ministry support. For you heard today about our financial plan. Yeah. So just pray about how your church can support us more so we can keep doing these things. Yeah, yeah it's been 11 years running the program. So we might be at 50 pastors by now. You know, maybe three or four years. That'll come in, and pastors and wives and children. I mean, everyone's kind of in the same household there. And as a pastor goes, many times his wife and children will go too. So anybody who's connected. Uh, But just this idea that my assumption is we all start, you all start kind of veering off the pathway of resiliency. Not because of intentional decisions, but simply because of the physics of this whole problem. All of this creates a lot of weight and momentum in the wrong direction. So it's hard to stay on the path. And that's why I wanted to begin with just this idea of what's a pathway to resiliency? Try and make this as practical as we can as we go through things today. Uh, So just three parts, self-care improvements, emotional awareness, and role and relationship accountability. We'll break those down as we go through our time. Uh, But number one, self-care just seems like an undervalued activity. We'll finish our time with a very intentional kind of exercise. I'll write some more stuff on the board. But when I ask, hey, what do you do to take care of yourself? It's like a blank stare. You know, uh, you know, silence. So that's an undervalued activity that should be just as intentional as your ministry plans are. Has to be there. Emotional awareness. There is not a person in here who's not been affected by a previous relationship problem. Whether it's your family of origin, good, bad, or ugly. Whether it's been previous primary relationships, uh, boyfriend, girlfriend, married, divorced, whatever it may be. Or whether it's the workplace where you are. 
spending 40, 50 hours a week with people. It's always the joke in my office, we're all Christians, can't we just love each other and get along? <laughs> it doesn't work that way. So there's a con- continual pressure to be emotionally aware. And then the idea of role and relationship accountability is it's just very hard to be humble and transparent when you're worn down and defensive. So this is the dynamic, but that's why we just start that direction. That's the pathway. If you can pursue these three things, then I'm suggesting today that you will have a better success in ministry. So let's break that down a little bit, starting with the self-care improvements. I think everyone has a hard time saying no, but people in churches have a really hard time saying no, especially if you're an effective leader. People know that. Uh, you don't have a chance to say no. You risk, if you say no, you might offend somebody or let somebody down or miss out. So reminding you that the N-O is not a swear word, but is essential in order to have that resiliency. And that may be no in ministry. That may be no in your staff. That may be saying no at home. That may be saying no to just desires you have to continue to accelerate. Again, when you get pulled off the pathway for resiliency, you want to find something new to re-engage. Something new and exciting. I'm not saying it's a temptation, like it's something wrong, but it takes you off target. And my understanding on the outside of church ministry is if you lose sight of your target, something is going to go awry. Mm -hmm. So there's all these temptations, all these pulls, it'll take you off. Secondly, to maintain that self-care improvement, you have to have effective conflict resolution. Just some words to give you that conflict resolution, right? There is... Collaboration is conflict resolution. Compromise is conflict resolution. Accommodation is conflict resolution. Directiveness is conflict resolution. And so is avoidance. Okay? If you don't have an ability to do any more than one of those, if you only can do one, probably... Uh, wearing out your resiliency from the inside out. If you can pursue the ability to do all five and know when to do any one of those five, you'll last longer in ministry. Can you repeat those one more time, Steve? Collaboration, compromise, accommodation, directiveness, and avoidance. Compromise isn't 50-50. It's always that impression that it has to be right down the middle. Directiveness is not rude. Sometimes it's there's a fire, you're coming with me, right? You grab someone and pull them out with you. Avoidance, let me sleep on it and get back to you tomorrow. I'm a basketball coach for my girls, so it's the 24-hour rule that they tell the parents. Don't speak to the coach until the next day, <laughs> right? Because everyone's hot and didn't, didn't do something right. So 24 hours avoidance is... Good, but just to have multiple of those. If you find yourself liking one and hating the others, do some work on that. Uh, talk to some people, read. That's obviously what a counseling office helps with. Okay, And demonstrate priorities to others is that third part of making sure your self-care is strong enough to be resilient. If you're not communicating them, people aren't going to know. Mm-hmm. In this day and age of digital schedules, when people have access to everybody's schedules and know what's going on, if your priorities aren't listed there or blocked out or something. One of those challenges of the ministry support program and talking to people is there's not a schedule that people keep. So many people I work with, I've, across from my office is uh, big businesses like Donaldson 
and um, agriculture, to big, big Del Monte plant clover. And those people, they know their schedule a year out. They know when they're working. They're working 12s back-to-back for six days. They know everything down to the minute. I'm not sure I've had the same impression of people in ministry. Because it ebbs and flows, and things fall through the cracks, and then when the important stuff falls through the cracks, then someone's always playing catch-up. Okay? There's another erosion to resiliency because there's not a defined plan. So demonstrate those priorities by putting in your schedule. And I don't just mean the 40 or 50 or 60 hours a week you do. If you do more than 60, please stop. It doesn't work. Um, but I mean the 168 hours of the week that you have should be scheduled, blocked. You should know what you're doing for every single one of those hours in the course of a week. And feel free to ask questions as I'm talking through things, just knowing an hour is a lot to squeeze in. And I want to have a chance at the end to take questions if there are some. But if something is important, please feel free to speak up as I go through all this. Uh, the second side, emotional awareness. Take ownership of your behaviors. Don't blame other people. Don't blame the system. Don't blame your spouse. Don't blame something else. I mean, we have a lot to blame. What's at the center of all of this? People. <laughs> we have 50 million you know, easy, quick answers to blame other people for something that's going on, but it's not enduring. And it eventually will wear its course out, and you have to look in the mirror and realize you can't blame anybody else for some things you just didn't do. Secondly, understanding your own history, probably the strongest part of emotional awareness. Your past will not stay silent unless you deal with it. So a new church, a new job, a new promotion, a new ministry model, it's not going to work if you're not dealing with your past. And a daily use of self-reflection, whatever that might be. Oftentimes in counseling, it's a privilege just to talk with people and, and brainstorm ways that they can pause through the course of a day. And I don't just mean the, the challenge that I think I can speak for every Christian and say, that to, where's my time with God going? This is a separate and distinct aspect of have I done some self-reflection today? Have I kind of gauged the wind of which way my mood is going? Have I thought what it's like to be my spouse and engage me when I walk in the door after church? Or what do my kids think of my attitude as I go through things? So self-reflection is good, whether you're a writer, uh, you want to send voice notes to yourself, you want to have a little checklist, do some version of a structured approach, and it'll be much easier to know what's going on. At the bottom, role in relationship accountability. Number one, follow this a defined strategy for daily routines. You heard me mention control the 168 hours. Uh, we all have heard of Dave Ramsey and his zero budget idea, getting down to the very last penny. Well, please get down to the very last minute in your schedule. It doesn't mean that you filled every single last minute with tasks and work and responsibilities but that you know what you're going to be doing as you go through the week. And a part of that will be for yourself, and that's self-care. A way to have that humility and transparent remain strong despite defensiveness and exhaustion is to actively serve people who are dependent on you for their own needs. Now, as a guy and a business owner running things out and spending a lot of days uh, throughout the week, my most important drive is not my drive to work, it's my drive home. Mm -hmm. 
I have four kids, 17, 14, 12, and 10. It's the best part of my life is being a dad. But when I walk in the door, it is middle of chaos normally. My wife's an educator, so they're all just coming in full of stuff. And how do I walk in just ready to go and be a dad? That's the most important drive that I plan for when I walk in. So I have to come in ready to go. Humility is going to be a way to do that and recognize that I'm there to serve them. What do they need? What does my wife need after working all day and then coming home and trying to figure out dinner and who's running kids to what? Uh, I haven't figured out how to clone ourselves when we have four different sports or four different activities on Wednesday, which everyone relates to who's had kids. But that's one of those things that wears down resiliency because it doesn't stop. You're juggling all day long at work, come home juggling all day long at home. If you don't have those pockets built in, then it will it'll show up eventually, let's say. Improve a personal awareness of expectations and acknowledging, I think we wrote it on here, unmet expectations. Well, even if expectations are poor or terrible or too much, Every expectation is going to have to be met with a modification. Ministries plan ahead three months, six months, a year. Do you plan ahead three months, six months, a year in your family relationships outside of the family vacation? Because you have to get that VRBO paid six months at a time. But what do you have for a goal for three months with uh, impacting your kids or impacting your marriage or something like that. So just this idea of know what those expectations are, communicate them, and you won't be frustrated or defensive or blowing up when someone is interfering with it because it's only remained in your head. It never got out on a family calendar or onto a digital calendar or it's been communicated with a family member. And then the final one for that bottom side of the triangle is maintain the biblical priorities of God first, family second, others next, and myself last. The hard question is, which is always a good exercise in the counseling office, is to ask a husband and wife, please list the top five priorities that you think your spouse has, and let's compare. It, and what do we all think, right? It's, I'm encouraged when it meshes, but that's the minority of time. And it can't always be that. Don't, don't get me wrong, it's not hard and fast rules that we all know that something is kind of more of juggling plates or averaging things out. But when you ask and say, what is your most important priority? Your children will be able to tell you. Your spouse will be able to tell you what's most important. Mm -hmm. It's a good checkpoint to make sure that you are being accountable to the relationships that are around. If you take it to work, it's the same exact thing. How do you know if someone who's working for you or with you has the right priorities going on? What's their conversation like? What are they doing with their free time? Uh, what are the activities they've talked about? Or does their family appear to be happy to be with them when you see them in the course of a week or community or on a Sunday? There's evidence all around. Yes? So I'm trying to, and I think you may have answered part of that, but sure. I'm trying to put that last sentence of, you know, God puts those next to myself last in all areas. Yeah. With the very top where it says self-care, improvement, emotional awareness, role and responsibility. Yeah. So caring for yourself and just how to how to fit all of that in. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I said. It's not exactly a proportionate exact, but I would say it's is it present in the course of your week? 
Uh, so encouraging couples to have a date night is like weekly mythical. It just doesn't work. Uh, but saying it at least happens once a month, then there's a beginning. Aiming for every other week, then we know it's active. So I would say the answer is probably activity. Is it active? Is it recurring? Does something go on? So in the course of a day, is there a recurring chance to be rested? In the course of a week, is there a chance to do those things? And in the course of a month. So that's where looking at your schedule. If I said, everyone, pull out your checkbook or print off your last 30 days, I'll know what you spent your money on. If I said, pull out your schedule and show me, and I'm, something's missing, then I know something is lacking. But if I see it occasionally, so it's not equal and even, but if I'm like, oh, he went away and had a guy week, a day with the guys, or he spent two hours watching his favorite movie this week, and then nothing happened that week because it was chaos. But the next week, somebody came back and did something else. So it's really this intentionality, and is it recurring? Yeah. Good question to try and bring some clarity. So as I said at the beginning, it's hard to stay on that path when you feel pulled to either side. So to just try and identify what is the source of that pull, besides people and all the things that they're causing, I think these are some self-inflicted things that take us off the path of resiliency. So avoiding unbalanced living, meaning there's no differentiation between work, home, and play, a 40-minute transition time when you get home or a 30-minute transition time when you leave work, very, very valuable if you don't have it. Just a chance to mentally clear. So I used to have a 45-minute drive home and I had an office in Marshfield. Wonderful. 45 minutes, clear your head, do everything else. Maybe make a phone call home and be ready to go. But now I have a nine-minute drive home. That's a lot different. So a transition time, I have to figure out what to do with that and maybe... It's something later in the day. You all should have the same kind of methodology for yourself. If there is, and um, we'll hear this in the counseling office, he's a foreman at work, and what is he at home? A foreman at home. Barking, taking, you know, telling people what to do, no grace, no mercy, those kind of things. So unbalanced living, if your family tells you, stop being whatever, you know, come in in that humble kind of way, and I think there'll be more of a differentiation and more balance between when am I working and when am I pursuing other roles and when am I taking care of myself. Because certainly when people feel out of control and overwhelmed, they default to the impulsive struggles of their life. So someone is defensive and stressed and they had a terrible day, they're not self-aware, they're not emotionally aware, what's the first thing they're going to do when they come home and someone asks something? (laughs) We can all think of it because we've all been there, right? I call it the echo effect. So I always like to use Steve as the analogy in telling things. So I walk in the door and one of my kids says, Daddy, can you fix this for me? And he's like, what? It's the echo effect because I already have something going to my head and one more request. One more request just echoed. So if you've been in those valleys or the Grand Canyon, yell your name and it comes back and it seems louder. That's just what's happening continually if we're stuck in our head because we're out of control, overwhelmed, underwater, whatever phrase you want to do to use to illustrate that. So if it's anger, if it's uh, temptation, if it's these smartphones we have in our pocket just to hop on social media or just play a game or do something else, When people are stressed, defensive, not being resilient, they default to those things that distract them. And that's the problem, is they don't solve anything. So if someone disappears into an event, but what happens to the thing they're trying to avoid? Mm -hmm. Generally, the fire grows worse 
on the other side of the door that we're just sitting down and staying there. So it has to be dealt with. Another thing that pulls us off the path of resiliency is called the lack of margin. What is your percentage of time that you spend at rest in the course of your week? I love something I call the 1% rule. 1% of 168 hours is 137 minutes. So let's call it two hours. How many of you take two hours a week to do something that's just you, disconnected from responsibility and fills you up? Kind of like if I were to grab this Diet Coke, right? It's a hot day and you really just take a drink. That's what I needed, right? What's your equivalent of the Diet Coke in the course of your day, your time, your activities? It's not for me to prescribe. Everyone has to know what it is for themselves. And it's okay to have it different. But how often it is when I, you tell someone, just take 5% of your time. Take 1% of your time and do something for yourself. Steve, you said just you disconnected from responsibility and it fills you up at the end. But everyone fills their time. Everyone knows how minimal hours they can sleep and still function. What's yours? Mine's about six. Six and a half hours. <laughs> we all know what that is. If we go less, then we've got about two or three days before the red line shows up, right? And then someone sleeps eight or ten and they feel guilty. Oh my gosh, I wasted half the day. I'm like, whoa, time out. Maybe your body just said, I needed rest. But your brain said, I needed rest. You know, those kind of things. Just 1% of your time is a hard ask. If you're not putting it into your schedule... Who else is going to do it? Steve, I think you be uh, reflecting internally while you're talking with us. As, um, and one thing I think of as people in service, mm-hmm. who serve others, I hear myself saying sometimes, oh, that brings me joy, so that's okay. I'm being filled <laughs> by the joy I receive in serving you, yeah. which is an excuse. And we just need to be really aware of that. Yeah. yeah. You don't have to constantly be in service of others, and that's the only place you get joy. Right, right. Don't forget what makes you you. Mm-hmm. Just what you love doing. You know, in transparency, mine is a good um, late night. The family's in bed and see what movie I can watch that's enjoyable, whether it's action, sci-fi, something else. Because everyone's asleep. No one's asking anything. It's all right. I know I can function on six hours of sleep. So even if it's a late night, I can start something at 11 or midnight and be okay. Because I know Saturday mornings, it's all going to start with mm-hmm. sports practices and everything else. But I know what mine is. I'm, I'm one of the few. So if you hear anything from me today, have it be that. Know what your one thing is that you're going to do to reset and fill yourself up that helps you stay grounded and resist this pull off. And again, it's just, you can be chaotic in 99%. All I'm asking is for one, 1%. But imagine if you got 5%. 5% sounds pretty good until I'm saying, how about eight hours a week? You spend, aim for eight hours a week of rest. Eight hours a week of not serving others. Eight hours a week of not doing something. And it's not just the end of the day when everyone's, I'm exhausted, I'm reading a book, laying in bed. I mean like eight hours of choice, prime time kind of stuff that you want to do. It might be one of the best things you can do to be resilient is learn how to, how to initiate that and inform your family members and inform the people you work with about what you do to take care of yourself. 
Stress levels that lead to isolation and feeling overwhelmed. As I talked about earlier, fires are quick to consume if no one's paying attention to them. As soon as someone feels rejected, discouraged, you know, disappointed, kind of working down their pathway toward depression, there's three words that always alarm me as a counselor. Isolation, silence, and withdrawal. Because someone gets underwater and they stop talking. Someone gets isolation, silence, and withdrawal. So isolation from others. They pull back because they don't know what's going on. Maybe silence because they get stuck in their head trying to figure out a solution and what's going to make this right. And withdraw simply because there's not enough energy to deal with this problem. And they're withdrawing from healthy activities. They're withdrawing from their family. They're withdrawing from the things that keep them on the pathway of resilience. So here's this key question, similar to what John was hinting at earlier, of just if no one's holding the rope for you, what will keep you from withdrawing and then justifying your reactions and where you're at? So who is that person that says, don't worry, I've got it for you? You know, you're repelling off the side of the cliff if you've ever done that. Just how important it is to know that rope is tight, tight and there's somebody on the bottom of the hill, you know, holding on to that rope to stop you if you fall. So who are those people? Who is that person that holds it so you can't drift? You can't go that far before someone notices and someone reaches out to you and engages you to force you to talk, to force you to reconnect, and force you to be around people. So those are the, the poles that are happening, but just trying to explain a little bit more on uh, ways to kind of take steps back onto that pathway of resiliency. So some things to focus on here. Number one, identify the potential obstacles. This is why self-reflection, counseling, reading, journaling. I mean, I hear about right now media all the time in churches, Mm -hmm. right? That's great. Do you know how much YouTube stuff exists out there for self-care, emotional intelligence, and all sorts of counseling? It's it's just as much. Mm -hmm. It's not just for cat videos and those kind of things. There's a lot of good, good information out there that has to be sought out, but only if people look for it. Again, counseling is a stopgap. So even if it's a phone call I can help you with, a one-time email I can help you with, please, it's this, when people reach out, there's an opportunity to stop the bleeding and begin to reflect and do better. More importantly, that phrase, of someone else can see it in your life, so should you, that's why counseling works. We're disconnected from a situation. So I can walk right up, and not that we're pessimistic, but we can kind of see what's going on. We go to the mechanic to trust that same thing, right? I hear a knocking. He's like, oh, yeah, it's probably this, this, and this. People have expertise after doing their job for a long time. So when we go up to them, they can almost immediately diagnose what's going on. So people around you, you work with or you live with, can usually tell you what's getting in the way. Those might be internal beliefs. Those are Those are hard. I'm not good enough, I'm failing, right? All the opposite of encouragement. The negative self-thinking, the condemnation, the disconnect from others. I like to call myself like the Red Cross members for counseling for people in ministry. Because you guys are all on the battlefront. I get to sit back in the white tents way back and just rest while everyone else is doing the dirty work. But that's the issue, is that in that environment, internal beliefs, external pressures 
are massive. We could keep going all day and keep listening to stuff. But this is the environment that we're in. I mentioned the phrase lack of risk management efforts is just about wisdom. Like, is that wise for you to do it? Andy Stanley's The Best Question Ever. Uh, thankful for that book and thankful for what's going on because it is a wonderful checkpoint to just find out what am I doing right now? In light of my past right, experiences, my present circumstances, and my future goals, is this wise for me to do? It is the best question ever. Secondly, learn the foundations for a uh, strong ministry capacity and Mentors are an underused resource. I often speak about mentors in light of relationships, emotional intelligence, because there are cultural trends going on right now. No-fault divorce in the mid-80s has ballooned the disconnect for people. Like when I ask, well, who, who are the strong marriage examples that you can follow? People lack them. Now they're talking about, what's well, a strong second marriage? But the chances for second marriage divorce are 50% greater than the first one. And if people aren't dealing with their previous family of origin, the first relationship they had, the first divorce, then they're in the second one, and it's all, that's why it's harder, because they're just carrying things with them. But just the lack of positive examples. It doesn't mean you have to be an expert in everything. I'm not an expert in everything. I have my things I like to do, the things I talk about, but then I know all the other people that I can refer people to. You don't have to be good at everything or know everything, but just that honesty, that humility will go a long way. Because yes, we learn through the successes. What else do we learn through? Failure. Failure. Yes. That so often can be helpful to somebody. I love working with teens. So those are the youth pastors, right? And you just say, find the families in our church that have college students or people who just graduated college. Because why? They give you hope that your kid might turn out okay. Eight years later, don't worry, they'll, they'll still like you. Eight years later, don't worry, they could pull it out. Or as a person who failed physics at Bethel College a long time ago, I get to say I'm still in a science. And look, I'm running my own business. So don't worry, Mom and Dad, you can fail a class at a private Christian university and still be successful. Is uh, Maybe that's the one reason I had to fail that class and change majors. But uh, it happens. So failure teaches a lot and allows people to be successful. One of the, when you talk about Thinking ahead, 90 days, six months, a year, those kind of things. So the phrase is consistency over time on the last page here. Consistency over time regarding these three things. Because it's a pastor conference, then I'll do the three C's. Communication with those that are important to you. Conflict resolution, already described those five different ways. And conscientiousness. How am I affecting other people? How am I attending to their needs? So often that gets lost. Moving on here for, be sure to have a workable and explainable definition of success. Like mission statements don't have 15 points. Right? It's a little plaque. I always thought that the fact that Perkins had a mission statement on the wall 
but I didn't have one. I, I have something for my business. I don't have one for my family, but Perkins has one, right? It's simple. It's one little statement. So where does that clarity come? How do you define success? And if it gets bogged down into the A plus B plus C equals D sometimes, and you start doing the physics calculus equations, it's hard to follow through. So simpler explanations are better. Simple definitions are better of expectations of success. Like parenting rules, uh, structure and consistency to make those houses work with kids we're parenting. Um, Usually it's three rules. You get to five or six, kids are going to forget them anyway. So have one, two, or three. Have it defined. Be able to speak to it that way. But no definition of success can be good if you don't understand your past experiences. Where do I come from? What's hurt me? What's affected me? What motivates me? An expectation of success can't be good if your present circumstances are not dealt with. They're chaotic. You're not in a healthy spot. Maybe you're physically not in a good position. Mentally, you're not in a good position. Emotionally. And again, these might not be self-inflicted. A cancer diagnosis comes out of nowhere. In my office, oftentimes, someone doesn't want the divorce. They got bombshelled by it that somebody else wanted it. That wasn't their choice. Maybe it wasn't something they lacked. Sometimes divorces come out of nowhere. And future goals. Maybe they're just unrealistic. But you have to be able to adapt expectations as you go forward. There's a contrast of working, uh, love working with people in ministry, and I have a chance to work with people who are non-Christians. It's a wonderful contrast between the grace that lives in excess in the church and the lack of grace that exists in a secular workplace. But sometimes, the lack of grace in the secular workplace is more efficient. Because there's accountability there. There's seriousness there. There's, there's reality there. Someone walks in and goes, this isn't going to work. What you're doing is, is not good. But as people in ministry, and I throw myself into that, encouragers, we want everybody to feel good, to have the ability to say, stop. We're moving away from this. That's a skill that has to be developed. And if you haven't been able to develop that or get mentors or read books about it, then it will be one of those things that erodes ministry too. If you can't just say, stop, that's wrong, pull back, I'm pulling you out, you're in over your head. You know, the willingness to make someone feel bad, you have to be able to put up with. You're not doing it with ill intent, but they're going to feel bad. But I would say they're probably already feeling worse internally because they know they're underwater. So it's a merciful act sometimes just to give honest feedback and save them from their own poor expectations. Okay. So, a practical application of all this, just for clarity, because pictures help. So if you have this question asked of you, what's at the center of your target is most valuable and what's less valuable to you? So, In that idea, if we have clarity of the bullseye of my priorities and my expectations, what's most important is going to be in the center of the bullseye and what's going to be less is on the outside. If you have this clarity of of a bullseye idea with all your priorities and relationships and things, I think your resiliency is going to be much stronger. Because then you have a filter to make decisions. You know what's going to be the most important thing. But in the world of ministry, there's task and relationship always at tension. And we're in office staff, in, in, um, in planning events, right? 
oh, but what about so-and-so is not going to feel good? But we have to get it done this way, right? There's always a tension. And so if you have, if you know what those things are and what's most important to you, it'll help you endure tough situations. So this isn't the part we have to share in front of the group, but I really want you to think about not everybody in your life can be at that 10 in the middle of the bullseye. There should be some people in there, but not everybody's in there. So some people you work with generally or some people you know are going to be on the further outside of that. Priorities are going to have a distinction. There are some priorities that are more important than others, so there should be a distinction. Same with tasks in the course of your day and expectations of yourself. And just like bullseyes, if, if you guys all go axe throwing, right, because that's what we all do now for fun, uh, the closer you get, the better it is. You realize that there's always less things at the center of the bullseye than on the outside. And I think that's okay. So there's only a handful of people that you really prioritize over the others at the center of the bullseye. There's a handful of tasks that you prioritize. There's a handful of time in the course of your day or week that you prioritize over the rest. Because I think one of the, the factors that erode resiliency is everybody has to have everything be the center of the bullseye. I have to be good at this or else someone's going to think poorly of me or my ministry is going to struggle. Again, those internal thoughts and beliefs that wear people out. So wise people know their limits and maybe a picture like a, per, like a bullseye will help you identify where is the distinction between what's most important and what is less important. We all care about people here. It doesn't mean we care less about them if we're just giving them less authority to speak into our life or we give them less time based upon our other priorities. Okay, it's juggling. Sometimes that person does take more time. They move temporarily into the middle, then they move back out. It's just a realistic kind of outcome. So something to be just doing some reflection on after you leave. But I said we'd, we'd make a, a positive kind of group exercise here at the end, and we'll do some questions so I can just further flush out some of the stuff we've talked about today. And uh, I don't think it would be a, a good workshop if I didn't try and generate an idea of what you all do to be resilient. Because sometimes that's my job when I ask that question, I get that blank stare back. I try and give some ideas. And this is not about judgment. Because the number of moms that I said, what are you going to do for yourself? Like, I'm going to go grocery shopping without my kids. <laughs> and I'm like, what? So no judgment, because I've heard it for almost 20 years, asking that question. And it's like, well, yeah, no one's putting extra stuff in. My list is efficient. No one's bothering me. I can take my time because I'm doing an important job. And there's probably a coffee. Now there's a Starbucks in every you know, grocery store, it seems. So there's no judgment about the stuff we put. But I thought there's a group of people who are facing the challenge of resiliency through a very extraordinary time. And what has helped you survive the past three years in particular. But the last three years came on top of other life events that were already kind of kicking people's butts. So I'm sorry if you had to go through the last three years and not attend a funeral or a wedding. But those were already going on. Those were already hard. And now you have to do those things. So how have you all 
maintain your resiliency because you might just give someone else an idea that they can do. Okay? So I'll put mine up, right? I said watching movies. In fact, I can watch any movie I want, stream it, five bucks. That's the cheapest activity I can do, and then no one's bothering me. No one's asking anything. So there's mine. Others? What have you done to be resilient and endure over the course of your ministry, but in particular the last year or three years? Uh, Steve, you know this. I've been officiating sports for 40 years. Okay. It's not always the most affirming thing, but it's a break in my norm. And so when I go there, it's a good phrase. it changes right. my, you know, things. Right. And I also look at it as an opportunity for relationship building. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. It's completely distinct yeah. from everything you do. Which is a nice thing because then it's just a different part of your life, a different part of your brain, a different part of your focus, maybe a different friend group as you talk about Rob getting to know other people. Uh, sometimes I wish that pastors lived next to the atheist next door. <laughs> yes. Because they don't see you as a pastor, they see you as a neighbor who helps mow the lawn, take care of the house, offers you a beer on Saturday, and there's no expectation. I wish everybody in ministry had someone who's just a good person who just says, hey, come on over, I need some help, or what do you need help with? Mm-hmm. It just takes the pressure off. Again, it's that you have to be filled at the end of it. And sometimes just hanging out with someone that expects zero of you is the most valuable thing you can do with your time. What are some others? Dance. Take a dance class. Dance class. All right. Consistent physical exercise. Okay. And we didn't even get into that today. Um, whether that's an issue of time or just there are some givens or just a different focus but it can't really be underestimated just physical activity 10 minutes, 3 times a week goes a long way that's why there's still over 40 sports leagues uh, for people that just really want it walking a dog dogs are, they make a lot of money for orthopedic surgeons um, <laughs> but they also help a lot of people maintain their sanity to go on long walks or for couples who go on talks together while they walk the dog. Right? I don't see anybody walking cats. So already dogs are better than cats. Right? Okay. Usually people have concern if they see someone walking a cat. Yeah. <laughs> so that's good. So physical activity, please. You know, annual checkups at the doctor, some level of physical activity. You can't go through the last three years and not have some physiological effects of stress. Blood pressure is higher. Um, activity just, you're so exhausted, all you want to do is what? Sit down. And it's one of those things that gets you isolated, gets you withdrawing, and gets you to stop talking to people. Mm-hmm. That's a really good one. But what else? Yes? I go for, well, I mean, it goes along with that, but walking out in nature or just spending time outside. Sure. So we can say creation? Yeah. Yeah. What are there, 40 state parks in Wisconsin? Something like that? Real blessing. Yeah. Puzzles. Puzzles. I like to finish something. <laughs> <laughs> so, Justin, are they like 25 or 50 pieces? Or? <laughs> not, those, not even like picture puzzles, but just any kind of like any kind of crosswords. <laughs> oh, there you go. Okay. Any, anything that I can use my mind to be done. That's good. I like that one. Puzzles. Accomplishment. That's a good one. Art? I bake. I 
test test. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we have to be careful about this one. Well, it's okay. He's a physical activity guy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's counting. Yeah. So it's three muffins, so it'll be three hours. That's good. I would say I got two of them. One yep. is more of a, a it's, it's not an all the time because you can't go on sabbatical and stay on sabbatical. Mm-hmm. But for anybody who has never taken a sabbatical, you really, really need to take a sabbatical. Um, but then, yeah, the other one would, for me would just be playing in a band, you know, art accomplishing sure. things. Music. Yeah. Music. Yeah. How great you can just pull music up anywhere and the exact stuff you want to create the mood, to experience something, to remember something good. Movie, musics, music, people, activities, those are good escapes. Sometimes we need to escape to shut it down. That's what sleep is. How effective would we be if we didn't have to sleep? Imagine all the stuff you could get done for ministry. I'm glad God built in this hard reset, right? That you can just notice when someone is sleep deprived <laughs> and when someone is refreshed. So uh, it's really good. Steve, I got a big one. That's yeah. been huge for our family, my wife and I. We have strong Christian friends that don't go to our church. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I say that because they just, it makes it when we hang out, it makes it possible for us to not talk about <laughs> Our church or feel like there's going to be any sort of um, like they're in the know. They're not in the know on anything, you know. Uh, it's safe in a way, and just takes that pressure off of my my pastor hat is off yeah. at that point. And we are just hanging out with friends. We have Christ as a, a binder, mm-hmm. and that's awesome. We can pray for each other and mm-hmm. our kids can hang out. But they're not the same church. Yeah. It's a huge blessing. That's a really great point. I came out of COVID, so we're... <laughs> That's good. I mean, you said those affinity networks, right? And I always appreciate seeing that as a counselor, when people are connecting with... Because that's why counseling works and groups work. Identification. You know my experience without me even saying anything that's going on. And I like that distinction between... I can be free. That's why counseling works, too. Uh, because... Hey, I don't know your church. I don't know what's going on, or it's all confidential, so I can't say anything. And there's a freedom in that. Mm-hmm. But yours is even better. That's why lay counseling sometimes is just like a thousand counseling sessions with me, because someone can just meet you at your kitchen table. They can talk to you about things. They've been there, done that, and it goes a long way. But that's a really good one. Kind of like that neighbor with the beer next door, mm-hmm. except that there's this extra layer of appreciation that you could go into those areas and be encouraged and have things magnified. Others? Fly fishing. What's that? Fly fishing. Fly fishing. Mm-hmm. I would add water to that, like swimming or just being in the water. You need water to fly fish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Make sure they go together. Fly fish for That's good. Let's go get mayonnaise and patties. That's good. What I like about this so far is that you see how this can be integrated into your week. That it's maybe an hour, 1% rule, right? 
Most things are an hour. Most things are uh, just that idea of two hours probably accomplishes a lot of these things. And so that 1% rule is important. And if it's in your schedule, it will happen. Are there others? Coffee shops. Coffee shops. I can just put coffee or uh, coffee shops. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. And I'll add to what Matt said on the ministry side and say it's so good to have somebody that's outside of your norm that you can share hard things with. Mm -hmm. That are that you just you be yourself and you need somebody that you can just say anything to and don't have to have a pastor hat on or a leader's hat on and they'll love you and give you good advice. Yeah. It's hard and I and one of the things in my role as a district, I've asked, do you have those? It's hard for ministry people to find that. Yeah, that's, I have a lot of respect for everybody in this room doing ministry. It's at the top of my list of hard jobs to do. Right up there with guys on the railroad who are out there when it's 50 below and they're working. Uh, right up with the guys doing Delmani, 12-hour days, six-day weeks, rotating days off, you know, during agriculture harvest season. Mills, the ones that still exist, right? It's 130 degrees in their thing and they're working swing shift. And how many pastors do swing shift? Right? One week, first shift, next week is second shift, next week is third shift, two days off, start over. And besides law enforcement and EMS. I mean, there's just a, it's a handful of jobs that I'm privileged to work with. And you guys are on that list. Because it's just hard, because you're isolated, a lot of pressure, hard to be connected, hard to do some of these things and not be a pastor. You're at the coffee shop, right? My kids are always my great defense at church. And I carry business cards to church. It's just what I've learned to have those boundaries. Because I can say, hey, call me Monday, send me an email, here's my card, or sorry, I've got, you know, my kids are not, not my son. <laughs> Before, it was kind of like I got, you know, three or four hanging around, so. See, I'm at counseling, and I speak it out, because when you're in ministry, sometimes we don't give ourselves permission. Mm -hmm. We think it shouldn't be us that go to counseling. We don't need that. Yeah. I think it's a good one to end my writing on, is that's why the ministry support program exists. If, if you have spouses or whatever that work in businesses, right, they do EAP work, employee assistance programs, mm -hmm. because people go get counseling then. I don't want to go. It's going to cost me $100. Nope, won't cost you anything. And now we have that for the district. So it doesn't cost you anything. You can do it from anywhere. Like, we've tried to remove every single excuse except for lack of transparency, yeah. defensiveness, I'm not sure, all those things. Yeah. So questions. Because, you know, I feel like I don't do it enough service to try and share with you guys the important things, but we've used our time really well. But are there questions I can answer just to clarify anything that uh, you're thinking about, you think someone else might benefit from, or wasn't clear enough? Steve, I've heard some counselors that I've talked to about counseling thought life. Can you talk about people's thoughts and how to keep an eye on that? Yeah, so the question uh, from Rob was just about thought life and um, maybe positive or negative thinking. I think that's where the self-reflection and journaling comes in. We're dealing with your past. Uh, uh, back when I was at Trinity, I got my master's degree from Trinity back in 2000, and uh, there was a psychiatric hospital that we worked with. I did my internship for 13 months 
and you've heard of Rafa, was kind of a Christian counseling organization from long ago. Their founder wrote a book called The Search for Significance. So uh, Robert McGee, great book. Still in print, I think. You can track it down on eBay, whatever you need to do. Great book for everybody to read, for people you recommend to read or whatever. But that book gets to the core of what's driving me. Hey, there you go. There's an example of what it looks like. Yes. <laughs> yes. Right? But it's asking those questions of false beliefs that people buy into. If, I, if I'm perfect, if I'm, unless I'm perfect, nobody will love me. I don't want to let people down. And there's two more. Performance trap. Performance trap, yeah. Perfectionism. yeah. And perfectionism. <laughs> yeah. So along those lines, I'd say read good books. Someone has written this, and I'm just writing off their coattails. And that's how a lot of people, I think, do life is, hey, this book helped me. That's how my library at my office kind of gets big. Oh, this was good. I bought you an extra copy. Give it to somebody else next. So keep reading and sharing with others. Yes? If I may see, just make a book suggestion. Yes, okay. please. If anybody's read the book Fail by J.R. Briggs, I love that Steve had having a definition of what success is. J.R. Briggs ended up find, uh, founding the Epic Fail Pastors Conference. <laughs> um, and it became basically a hospital for pastors and ministry leaders who felt like they failed in ministry. But a big thing that he talks about in there is having an accurate definition of what success is. Because we often look around and have a wrong definition of what it is. So I read it my second year in ministry, and I'm so glad I did because I think it helped keep me in what I do. Otherwise, I'd be looking around and like a failure. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And one more question or anything, just knowing where our time is at. Yeah. I think on the counseling side of things, uh, I was in law enforcement for a few years, and one of the hardest things was going to counseling and actually making that. Mm -hmm. uh, and I finally actually just took that step recently to start seeing a counselor and working with that past trauma mm -hmm. uh, and some childhood trauma that I had in my past. But it's just, it's still hard for me to go, but has been such a blessing at the same time. But mm -hmm. with that, I think for me, is being brutally honest with my senior pastor, even if I'm afraid of losing my job at some points, um, I think has been encouraging and scary at the same time. Yeah. But I'm thankful that God blessed me with such an amazing man of God with such grace and understanding. Yeah. Um, but I think that being brutally honest and just having that really good relationship with another pastor in the yeah. church, uh, because you are working side by side. Right. Worth its weight in gold. Right. That's a great point to finish on because that's where the church gets it right. And I mentioned about the secular side speaking truth, speaking direct. When they only give you one day off because you had a close family member die and you're expected to be back, this is where the church gets it right mm -hmm. and just offers grace. Mm -hmm. The thing I would add is if that's hard for you to do with someone you work with, imagine how hard it is for one of your people in your congregation to come up and go, Well, what's Pastor going to think of me? I'm going to be run out of that church faster than anything else. That's just the challenge about how do you bridge that gap. So uh, thank you for coming today. I really appreciate being able to speak and encourage all of you because this makes my day. I'll be energized at the end of the day because of your attendance here. So let me pray for you all and the ministries that you have. And uh, I think it's uh, lunchtime next. So. Uh, Lord, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for the collective wisdom in this room. Thank you for sustaining each of us in ministry and through these incredible past handful of years, but even beyond. And Lord, I pray you just 
convict and convince and bring strength where strength is needed right now through each person in this room and their ministry. And may you prepare us to stay faithful on that pathway of resiliency as we go forward, not knowing what's coming, but really wanting to be faithful until the end. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Forest Lakes District EFCA podcast. Before you go, please take a moment to rate and review this podcast. By doing so, you're helping others to find and benefit from these resources. To hear more great content like this, please click subscribe. Finally, you can learn more about the FLD and the resources we have available for flourishing churches at our website, forestlakes-efca.org.